Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we have with us Martin Roswell Alien Willis. Oh, that's my name this week? Yeah. Well, you notice that um, every week, and I, I do this as I'm talking. That's why I say, you know, I have that long pause. I would give Jason a nickname every show and now i'm gonna do that for you some of them you may not like and we may even you know on air fight about it i might fight about this one really Ooh. i also well start bring it on with the gloves on yeah come on so fight <laughs> sock uh, it to me i i just want to know how did you did that just come out of your brain just instantly and you have yeah. no idea where it came from Actually, I wanted to challenge you a bit because I know that you don't want to talk about the slides. It's we, you know, it's been talked about so much. You've got a no slides policy on your show, and uh, so I knew that you would cringe a bit and be like, "Oh man, don't attach me to that debacle." No, that's all right. You might as well just pull me into the whole mess. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Martin Willis. He was in Mexico. I'll start this rumor that he was the guy who started the whole thing and. He was the one who found them and brought them to the researchers and says, hey, this is an alien. Yeah, I'm the guy that ran the estate sale, but I didn't want to come out with it. Oh, I we could start a rumor. Though. Yeah. I, I know because you're in antiques and you know all about this estate sales that you found, that you created the images. You took the pictures <laughs> at a museum, made them look like they were old, found sleeves at estate sales, replaced the new sleeves with old ones from your estate sales all right i'm, I'm starting busted. to believe myself now yeah. that maybe you did have something to do with this yeah i was behind the whole thing see um, how the subconscious work my subconscious knew that you were the hoaxer <laughs> yep that's right buddy <laughs> all right well i'm glad that we got that solved now we really can let go of the roswell slides yeah i know this is good closure yeah yeah. So our guest is uh, tonight, it, it, this is a fun guest. His name, I'm not sure if you've ever interviewed him uh, on your podcast UFO, but his name is Bill Wickersham. Are you familiar no. with him? No, I'm not familiar. Nope. Yeah, he's a neat guy. He's been a UFO researcher for many, many years, and this is a lot of fun. And we had a mutual friend who is uh, Dr. Leo Sprinkle. You've interviewed him. Oh, yes. Um, Dr. Sprinkle has been, you know, investigating this stuff for decades. And it was Dr. Sprinkle who told, uh, you know, was friends with Bill Wickersham who told him about all of this stuff. And um, he was skeptical at first. But over the years, you know, he came to realize that uh, or came to have the feeling that there is something to the phenomena. And now he writes about it. He's actually a an activist. He's an adjunct professor with the University of Missouri, and uh, so that's why it's really fun. He's he writes some uh, 
stories once in a while. They write his opinion pieces and in some of the local papers, and they allow him to uh, do columns periodically on UFOs. And uh, so we talked to him about UFOs and some of his research and uh, what it's like, you know, being a college professor and uh, how your colleagues and and so forth feel about UFOs. And uh, also we talked to him about what's interesting about him and what's great about him and uh, people of his ilk. Of course, that you have to be a pretty strong character in order to talk about UFOs as a college professor. But he also goes to, you know, kind of mundane, regular organizations that he's involved with to talk about UFOs. You know, these are people that hmm. are certainly not attached to it. And so he talks about his experiences um, doing that sort of thing. Although uh, we also talk about nukes and UFOs because he's been a nuclear um, weapons activist for many, many years. You mean he wants to activate them? No, not that would oh, be okay. an activator. Oh, okay. I got yeah. confused. Sorry. That's probably why he likes the UFOs because, you know, we have these stories of them deactivating the nukes. All except of one time. You know of the situation where they they were on uh, they were on a go status. Oh, I do, re- yeah. but they didn't launch them. Luckily, they didn't launch them. They yeah. they could have. Yeah, they, they, they probably should have. But yeah. yeah, but yeah, that was probably the warning. Speaking, you know, David Letterman retired recently, so a lot of news on David Letterman, and he did this thing. You know, where he goes through the drive-throughs, or he pretends like he's working the drive-through at a fast food restaurant. Yeah. There was one that was really funny that's always stuck with me, and I think it was Canada or Switzerland. Someone came through. He asked where they were from, and he says, you do realize we could nuke your, your country if we wanted to just wipe <laughs> you completely off the planet. That was pretty That funny. must have went over nicely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Luckily, we haven't done that yet, but that could have been what they're telling us. We could nuke your planet and destroy you so you do not exist, so uh, be careful. You. I think, you know, really, to take that topic seriously – I agree with you that, you know, you can only try to figure out what is going on through that whole situation. But it really does point to the fact, you know, like Robert Hastings believes that it's a warning, you know, get your mm-hmm. act together. Mm-hmm. And it does seem, I, I, you know, given Robert Hastings' excellent work, big fan of his work, um, you know, and some of the other witnesses such as Robert Salas, I, I, there does seem to be a connection, don't you think? I think so. I mean, it yeah. makes perfect sense. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the rash of UFO sightings came after 1947. Not to say that they weren't seen before, but, you know, it just uh, it seemed like there were a lot more sightings. Mm-hmm. And then eventually um, these things started happening and it's still going on. Right. Right. I agree. All right. Well, so we'll be talking to uh, Professor Wickersham in just a little while. However, first, uh, you know, Martin and I are going to talk about some UFO news that went down this past week. And as usual, Martin, we'll let you start it off. What's the UFO story you would like to talk about? Well, today I'd like to talk about a hotel that is, uh, Ah. well, uh, sort of out of this world. Mm -hmm. Now, the owner of Alien Fresh Jerky, uh, with product names such as Abducted Cowed Beef Jerky, Teriyaki, I forgot to add that. Mm-hmm. Well, he's launched a Kickstarter campaign and to persuade all of you out there listening and more to fund his $30 million 
hotel planned for Eastern California in Baker. Now in Baker, there's only, uh, I guess in the consensus, in the, I'm sorry, in the census back in 2010, there were 735 restaurants. But if you've ever made the trek between LA and Las Vegas, you'll see the big huge th- thermometer. That's where it is. And probably a good portion of those 735 residents work at the Jerky Factory. Now, he's saying there's something like, oh, I, I forget exactly how many people run through that town, but it's uh, he's claiming it's like 750,000 people go through there. So he wants to open up this UFO-like hotel and with a $300 a night price tag, which is fairly reasonable considering the thing would be $30 million dollars to build, and um, you can pledge for as little as a dollar all the way up to $10,000. Um, and th- he's looking to raise $175,000. i am not really sure where he's planning on getting the other $29,825,000. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I guess it's a start maybe to uh, to get the ball rolling. But uh, would you stay at a hotel like that, Alejandro? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for the novelty of it, uh, that would be really cool, I think. I, I, yeah, I, I think I would, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows, if you look at the article, um, it's right here in Open Minds, um, you'll see that it's going to have quite a layout. And um, this guy, you know, arrived in this country with like $100 in his pocket. So he's kind of like an entrepreneur, and he's he's got, uh, he's definitely thinking out of the box, for sure. Yeah. I don't know where he's come up with all those alien things, but if you're going to do aliens... Why not in the middle of the desert? Yeah, well, I, I have some backstory. I wrote about this a year ago when he first came up with the idea. Now he's got this Kickstarter out, so or this uh, uh, or is it Indiegogo? I can't remember which. But I think it's na- Kickstarter. Yeah, so he's got this Kickstarter to raise some money for it. Um, but there were some stories back when this came out a year ago, and, and you can find this on Open Minds. You can Google Jerky on Open Minds. And you won't get jerky people, but you'll get uh, some some news about beef jerky. And he, when he came, you know, his green card said alien, and that's how he came up with the idea to to call his jerky thing alien fresh jerky. But this is interesting. He took like the weekend off of work to go sell beef jerky, and he was in the middle of nowhere. He actually didn't even realize this, but. He set up this beef jerky stand near Area 51. He didn't even know about <laughs> Area 51. But he wow. sets up this jerky stand. He said he made $800 the first day. Uh, well, like you said, that's eight times more than he had when he came. And he decided, wow, this is what I'm going to do. So he set up a, a stand on the side of the highway, and he chose a great highway. People from L.A. are going back and forth to uh, Las Vegas all the time, lots of times gangsters. From L.A. will go out there, shoot a couple of their rival gang members, go <laughs> home, pick up some jersey jerky on the way. But uh, wow. hopefully people are probably buying jerky on the way out because they can't afford it on the way back. But, yeah, he, mm-hmm. he's selling jerky like crazy. I, I have entitled my story, uh, the old one, Beef Jerky Moguls UFO Hotel Gets the <laughs> Green Light because he got permission from the county to do it. But, uh, yeah, he made all this money and his his – Shop kept growing and growing, and he's got all these aliens hanging around in his shop, and he's got like this fake UFO, and, and and that looks like it's crashed into the building. One sitting outside of his shop, and he's got this like UFO car. So all of this stuff that he's been doing, so he's been making so much money 
selling beef jerky on the side of the road that, yeah, now he feels, I guess, he's going to be able to raise these millions of dollars to create this elaborate hotel. Wow. Fun. Only only in America this could happen. Yeah, only in America. Yeah. But that is a fun story. I wasn't expecting you to talk about that one, so that's a lot of fun. I know, I'm glad you did. That's why I picked it. Yeah. Great job, Martin. Good Wanted job, Wanted to throw you buddy. off a little. Yeah, yeah, you did well. You did well. <laughs> so um, another story that has kind of gotten refreshed in the news, unless you had more to say about beef jerky. No, I'm all done with the jerky. Okay, good, good. But it is called alien beef jerky. I wonder if uh, that's going to scare off extraterrestrials because they believe that uh, we're going to make ah. beef jerky out of them. Wow. That's this, a really good tactic. Being America... It wouldn't surprise me, um, you know, especially in these desert towns, like if someone did find an alien, their first thought would be, I'm going to make beef jerky out of this and sell it for a lot of money. Well, they'd weigh it, of course, first, you know, see if it'd be worth it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you could sell a stick of real alien beef jerky for a lot of money. Probably. I think so. Yeah. So. What um, if it's gray? Yeah, gray jerky. That's a yeah, good point. Yeah, could be. Mm. So, um... So we'll move on from the jerky. Are you ready to move away from the jerky? Jerky? Sure, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. So <laughs> this is another story in the news that was actually made news uh, quite some time ago, years ago, in fact. Uh, this Russian UFO video. This often happens. You've probably seen this a lot where someone on YouTube will go steal someone's video um, from mm. years and years ago, repost it, and then the media, sometimes they don't even claim it's new. Sometimes they do. This one, actually, they did it. They put in a title 2015. And the media then picks up on it and thinks it's a new video when it's not. And uh, that's what happened recently with this Russian UFO video that was posted. And it's these balls of light seen during the day um, over Russia. And it's a very interesting video. The video is actually purportedly we don't know for sure because it's we're just referring to the original youtube video which there's very little information on but it seems like that the video at least was posted and popularized in in 2013 um which is interesting because in 2012 there was a rash of very similar sightings over saint petersburg and although these videos are reposted uh you know at, at least you know according to the media and others, what these UFOs are is still in question. People don't know what they are. Some people are adamant that they are military flares. Um, they are in a grouping. They are uh, bright like military flares. Many people argue that military flares twinkle or they look kind of like Chinese lanterns and they, they have smoke that can be discernible. I heard a lot of that this weekend that, oh, it's obvious what flares are. Completely not true. Um, flare, military flares are, the technology is incredible. They are extremely bright. I posted videos that I've got of flares. You don't see smoke. You don't see flickering. You see these extremely bright uh, yellowish colored lights and that's all you see with military flares so it's certainly a possibility um, but I think they're pretty interesting videos I'd like to actually argue that point a little bit because um, Go for it. I watched I watched that video all the way through uh -huh. and first of all um, I was sitting with my 
Russian girlfriend, and she translated basically mm. what they were saying. And that is, wow, look at this, you know, it's a it's a gift. And then he talks about giving the film to someone. And uh, then they keep saying, you know, he keeps saying, over to the left, over to the left. So he moves over to the left. He looks. He's upset that his uh, hand is shake hand is uh, hands are shaking and it's blurry and he wishes he had a better camera. That's kind of what the general conversation is. But the reason I'd like to argue the point of mm-hmm. flares is because it completely fades out near uh, about three quarters of the way through the video, fades out to nothing like often you hear these things do, and then it comes back and then it, it comes back over to the left a little bit, just you can just barely see it. So I, I, as far as I know, you wouldn't see flares on a clear, beautiful day. And it's coming into twilight, but still you wouldn't see them completely go out and then come back on and be in the same formation. You know, it can't be new flares. It was basically the same formation. So you, I don't think it's flares. You do make some good points because, um, yeah, I mean, typically flares are at night. Now, I have seen them um, start up in the same area again because what you don't see See, but see, this is at night usually. You don't see the jets because they're usually running with lights off. They'll just have their lights in a covert mode where they they can only see be seen by IR or by night vision. And they will fly and drop the flares in the same exact place where they just were, probably because they're lighting up something in that area or, or something. Who knows? I don't know what the hell they're doing. But uh, So I could argue that maybe they could appear again in the same area. But why at twilight? And... At twilight, you would see the jets, you would think, too. So those are some good arguments. Did you talk to maybe one of your other girlfriends, also like your um, <laughs> military expert girlfriend? Um, she was unavailable. Um, mm. I can't, you know, I can't have them both in the same place at the same right. time. Right, yeah, yeah, that could be difficult. Yeah, it never works. You make some good points, though. Yeah, that's why I like this story, and I still posted it. The videos are still mysterious. Um, and they certainly, it isn't for sure what was caught on video. Right. It's interesting. Yeah, they are really interesting. So, yeah, that's a good story. Um, and then the last story I would like to talk about, which I think is kind of fun, and is a celebrity story. Uh, not a lot of people, sometimes people don't like talking about celebrity stories. Well, you know what? Let me take that back. A lot of people do like talking about celebrity stories, but for some reason, there are a lot of people who hate it. They get so upset. Why are you talking about really? celebrities? What do I care about celebrities? Well, there's a lot of people that care about celebrities. People are celebrities because, you know, a lot of people follow them and care what they have to say and what they do. So so that's why. Mm. But anyway, there is this electronic dance music uh, guy. He, he makes music. He's also a producer. His name is Skrillex. And, uh, you know, I wasn't too familiar with him. I became familiar with him through Travis Walton uh, because yeah. Travis Walton kept talking about his friend Skrillex and how he's gone to his friend's birthday parties, how this guy's a major big deal and that there's always movie stars and rock stars at this guy's birthday party uh, in California. And he's a big UFO buff. He loves the Travis Walton story. He's into ancient aliens. Um, he he had at his last birthday party Giorgio uh, Sukulos, who I got to uh, reconnect with this weekend at Contact in the Vet Desert. He was there, so I haven't posted it yet, but I'll post my picture with him. And by the way, you know, a few weeks ago we covered this story about Giorgio, where he talked about his UFO sighting, and and we I also put a bunch of the meme pictures in there of the alien ones and some real oh, funny yeah. ones. 
Giorgio read that and he said he thought it was really funny and he loved it, which is good because that's the whole story about how Giorgio's real lighthearted. He's got a great sense of humor and he loves the memes, which is uh, see, yeah. I wondered about that. Yeah, so did I. That's why I loved writing the story and I wasn't surprised. I loved his answer and reaction that he loves these memes and they're fun. And uh, so, and I think that's he's got just. You know, I'm not into all of the ancient aliens. Uh, I think there's a lot of mysteries. I'm not so sure they're all related to aliens. But uh, he is a very pleasant person. He's so entertaining. He's so fun to uh, listen to. And he's got just a great attitude. He's so positive and fun. So, um, But he read this story. But he was at Skrillex's birthday, last birthday party too. Well, why am I talking about Skrillex? Because just in the last few days... Uh, Google released that they have worked with Skrillex to release these phone um, covers for the Androids. Uh, Google owns Android, if you're not aware. And with these covers comes an application and, and wallpaper. And the wallpaper shows live feeds from a satellite of Earth. Really cool idea. So they're, they have hmm. these cameras. They're launching with balloons. And so you get a live imagery of the Earth from these satellites on your phone as your wallpaper. So really cool. Wow. But uh, why that's interesting uh, to us is because Skrillex said he had a dream about aliens, um, which I guess he may think uh, is an actual alien contact. But uh, it, he, this application was alien-inspired. So he got this idea from this dream of, with aliens and stuff like that. And uh, Google didn't write about it, but others have. Um, so, yeah, this whole thing is inspired by aliens. And if people know Skrillex, he's got aliens all over everything. He, he's got, <laughs> you know, on his record labels, everything. He's got these, especially the alien smiley, alien, uh, smiley faces uh, from the icons like on your phone. He's got those all over the place. It's one of his favorite images. So they came up with three versions of the um, phone covers. One of them, of course, has the alien smiley. Uh, others have other weird-looking alien-ish type technology and stuff like that. So pretty cool. Google working wow. on an alien-inspired project. Are they going to make beef jerky too, maybe? I don't believe so, but I think Skrillex is like in the Malibu area. So he, he may have... But I would imagine that if he drove to L.A., he would have seen the beef jerky shop and stopped there and, and highly enjoyed it, just like you or I would have. Aren't you the one who said you'd been there to the beef jerky place? Me? Now that I think about it? <laughs> no, that wasn't me. No. Oh, because I remember a year ago when I was talking about this story to someone, they said they had actually stopped. I, I think it might be Ben Hansen. Actually stopped and has gotten beef jerky at the Alien Beef Jerky place before. Uh, but yeah, me. I'm not aware of any relationship with Skrillex and the Alien Beef Jerky, but there may be. Yeah. That's wow. the news. That's all I got for the news right now. I mean, there's other UFO stories that we've got posted, uh, some of which we talked about on your show. Um, there, we've always got a lot of news, but those were some of the fun stories I wanted to talk about. So unless you have more news you want to talk about, we uh, can wrap this section of the show up. It's a wrap. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Everybody remember Martin has his own show, uh, UFO Podcast or Podcast UFO. You yelled That's at it. me for getting it backwards last time. Yeah. 
But um, yeah. and people can check that out, and it's good stuff, right? It is Wednesday nights All live right. show. Cool, dude. Yeah. All, right, All right, thanks. Thank you, man. Talk to you next week. Yep. Without further ado, let's go ahead and talk with Mr. Bill Wickersham. I am very happy to uh, be joined by Bill Wickersham. Hello, Bill. Hi, how are you? I am doing good. Uh, how are you? You just got back from a great European cruise, huh? We did, with just a week, but uh, a bit worn out, but really enjoyed it. it was yeah. A lot of fun. What cruise line was it out of curiosity? This was um, um, <laughs> blocking. It, it was Royal Caribbean. Oh, cool. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big uh, PBS fan, and they always have commercials for those European Viking River tours. Those look like they'd be a lot of fun. You bet. But this this interview is not about cruising. It's about UFOs. So want to talk about that. So are you were and or still are an adjunct uh, professor at the University of Missouri? Is that true? Yes, I, I have been at the university many, many years ago and came back in uh, around 1997 uh, as an adjunct professor of peace studies. I'm actually an educational psychologist by training, but have tried to apply my knowledge to uh, conflict resolution, peace studies, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you've also been a long time and are known in the area for uh, your um, activism. Well, yes, I've been, a, 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 especially in the area of nuclear disarmament education. Back uh, when I was here in the early 60s, the U.S. Air Force deployed 151 megaton bombs here in mid-Missouri, as they did in North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, etc. So we were actually the prime target uh, for Soviet missiles. <laughs> they had about three aimed at every one of ours. So had World War III started, we would have there would have been a hole called Mid Missouri. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm from Colorado, uh, where of course they've had a, a have a lot of nukes in the in the uh, Colorado Wyoming border area as well. Right. So when was it that you got interested in UFOs? Well, I have, I have to tell you, first off, I am an old man. I'm, 80, <laughs> I'm 81. Excuse me just a minute. I'm an old man. I'm 81 years old, and uh, one of my very good friends at the University of Missouri, who was finishing his uh, Ph.D. when I was working on my doctoral program also, was Leo Sprinkle. Hmm. And I think you know Leo. Yep, very well. <laughs> and Leo uh, uh, was actually my tennis partner. We played on a tennis team together. And so while I was not smitten by the UFO phenomenon, as you know, he had had some close encounters in, in Colorado earlier before he came here. So I first got uh, interested in over the years uh, followed the work. I worked in Washington, D.C. for 15 years, and I met Elaine, Elaine Douglas, you may remember Elaine, and one of my dearest friends who was introduced to me by, by uh, Leo is Scott Jones, and Scott and I are still uh, joined at the hip. Uh, he, he's ill right now, uh, has had pneumonia, but as you know, he did the uh, Rockefeller Initiative. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, he worked on that. Um, did you know him during that period of time? 
I did. I met, uh, in fact, uh, Leo and I had attended a national psychological meeting and uh, had dinner. My wife and I had dinner with Leo, and he says, there's a guy you really need to know, and it's Scott Jones. And so uh, Scott at the time was um, special assistant to uh, Senator Claiborne Pell of Rhode Island. And as you may recall, he also did a 1995 convention in Washington called when cosmic when cosmic cultures meet and so that was in the about 82 and we've written some articles together we've been very close since that time mm-hmm. so i guess uh we'll start with this since you kind of had a connection there um some people probably should know i mean we've talked about it quite a bit on this show um Antonio Huneas uh, is on the show a lot. We've talked about it with him, and he uh, actually wrote a document that uh, Lawrence Rockefeller had put together on the best UFO cases. But what is your take on Lawrence Rockefeller's interest in UFOs? Well, I, I think it's uh, really a shame that, uh, as you know, uh, Lawrence Rockefeller and Scott Jones uh, were able to get appointments with John Gibbons, who was Bill Clinton's top scientific advisor, and they were hoping very much to 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 get disclosure on the part of of the administration. But as these things often do, they as it did with Jimmy Carter, also they they simply uh, die out for one reason or another. We don't know who's pulling the strings, you know. But I think that was a terrible shame because. There was a lot of data that, that they presented to the Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. So, what did it finally for you? What what was it that piqued your interest and finally really got you into it? Well, uh, I think um, re- really my talking w- with Scott, and then I, I of course had done a little reading before, but. Uh, one of the things that really happened earlier in 1976, J. Allen Hynek, who, as you know, was the Air Force's director of Project Blue Book, came down to Southern Illinois University, where I was working at the time, and a group of us, professors and students, had a conversation with uh, Dr. Hynek. And essentially what he told us, and I, uh, this is roughly what he told us, uh, when we studied... Uh, the UFOs, uh, there were about, uh, well, essentially they had columns like swamp gas, uh, crazy people, uh, you know, all the various prosaic things, and, and just uh, uh, descriptions of, of, of weather phenomena and so on, some of which was, was quite true. But what he told us is, in effect, we fudged the data, just translate that, we lied about uh, 20% of, the, uh, of, of those sightings. And then gave them to uh, special operations teams to then go and really check out. So those were hidden, and those were, the, by the way, some of the data, most of the data that Danny Sheehan got later on in, in 1977 uh, when he was tasked uh, by the uh, Carter administration with Marcia Smith to do a study of those documents. Mm-hmm. And so that really piqued your interest finally. It, well, it did. I mean, I, you know, one of my, my uh, life, I, I was not a heavy duty scholar, uh, but I came into educational psychology, which uh, normally addresses individual learning, ways to help people, to facilitate learning, to 
to work with them based on their knowledge and skills and, and abilities, etc. But one of my uh, one of my chores with the nuclear weapons deal was also I found that there are some really deeply held social and psychological obstacles that prevent people from dealing with difficult topics. When I used to go out originally on the nuclear weapons, if I would go to a Rotary Club and I just mentioned it, uh, automatically the, the, the glaze went over, the collective glaze mm-hmm. went over the eyes of the people I was talking with. And I eventually, after I read uh, Dr. Jerome Frank's work, uh, a psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins, when I read his works, I found ways to at least ameliorate that a little bit uh, through what I call psychological inoculation. Mm-hmm. You explain to people why they're probably not going to hear what you're going to say, but you really wish they'd stick with you for at least 20 minutes because it's a very important topic. And would you think of at least one question that you might ask me at the end of my talk? Well, some of those same social psychological obstacles, denial, habituation, helplessness, hopelessness, uh, let the experts handle it, that sort of thing was in my repertoire. And what I found was some of the same things were operable with the UFO phenomenon, and that piqued my interest just as an educational psychologist. That is really interesting. I I have a, my bachelor's is in organizational psychology, and uh, mm-hmm. my corporate career was as a corporate trainer. So... I love this sort of thing. It's tricking your learner into learning despite themselves um, right. kind of tactics, which, of course, we have to do when we do UFO lectures for exactly the same reason you just mentioned. So you talked about how you inoculate your, your audience. Uh, you kind of uh, preempt their skepticism maybe. Um, what are some other things that you say to, to – how do you explain to them, here's why you're probably not going to want to listen to what I have to say? Well, because for for some people, and you know, as with the nukes, uh, there's a fear element here. I mean, there, mm-hmm. you know, some people are frightened because it it messes with their head based on their view of reality. I know, I know, you have seen, you may have been a part of. I know what I saw, the the movie. I show it quite a bit, mm-hmm. and as you'll recall in there, uh, Governor Five Simonton states uh, this changed my reality. Well, something that's that heavy. Uh, you know that some people don't want to touch it, and and of course we all know about the giggle factor and how early on in the game the CIA and social psychologists and others learned to uh, debunk this and to make it silly so that the giggle factor is operable. Mm-hmm. Most people don't want to be made fun of. Right. Yeah. That all and you know makes a lot of sense. It's kind of interesting, and I would just love your perspective on this as well. Um, one interesting thing that happened to me was I did a talk for a Kiwanis um, right. once in the Colorado area. It was a packed room. Um, you know, these were the community leaders. And some of them listened with an open mind. A lot of them you could tell were really shut down. And there's a lot of social things going on. Some people taking their – a lot of people taking their social cues from mentors in the yeah. room. And mm-hmm. uh, at the end, there was this table full of uh, retired gentlemen. And I was handing out some pieces of paper, uh, giving them information about MUFON and some other things they could look into. And uh, the table, none of them took the piece of paper except for one. And then one guy uh, 
older gentleman was really grouchy about it. He didn't take a piece of paper. And I said, uh, you know, I decided to ask him, you know, why is it? Why aren't you interested in this topic? And he said, oh, I was in the Air Force, and it was my job to watch these things all the time. So I'm tired of this stuff. (laughs) And everybody else at the table really peeked up, and they all asked for a piece of paper then. Um, (laughs) After he said that. (laughs) Yeah, but very quickly they changed their mind. Um, What do you think are the mechanisms going on there that that changed their mind? Uh, In that case with you, I I think he affirmed the fact that there are, uh, in fact, some things we don't understand. Mm -hmm. You know, that that would be my take. My take on that. Uh, And of course, as you know, Stanton Friedman, when when he talks, he always uh, says, uh, "Here are the data. Are there? Is there anyone in the audience who, with data, can counter what I've been saying?" Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, usually that's. I mean, it has to be done gently, not. Not as one-upmanship, or right. I'm the big big expert or anything. And part, that, by the way, is part. It's awfully easy to get uh, get upset. I, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. in a town like Columbia, Missouri, and given my background, some people who who hate my guts, some others who. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just had a a piece on another topic in a local newspaper, and in the comments online, one says that I'm a certified wacko. Mm-hmm. I've been called an embarrassment to the university and, and, and this sort of thing. Now, there are, I have a lot of other friends and you know, people that I consider highly educated who are just the opposite. But you, you, you have, if you're going to get in this game, you've got to be prepared to do that without overreacting. It's right. not, not good to get in an argument over UFOs. You know, there come, may come a time you have to simply agree to disagree. Right. And that right there, I think that statement you just made um, uh, represents a lot of the difficulty that people have with this field is one, uh, first of all, who do you believe? Second of all, you know, dealing with people at odds with each other and and kind of being a bit unprofessional um, when they do disagree. That's right. And and when people use absurd arguments, uh, you can counter them, but you don't you don't use overkill. Overkill. How you say something and what is as important as what you say, mm-hmm. and what your facial expressions are like, and and uh, how, how you really respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do it, you, you can be as right as as right can be, and uh, present it in the wrong way, and uh, you're not going to make much uh, headway. Mm-hmm. And the who is really important. I mean, that experience that I, I talked about also showed me that. It, sometimes what you're saying isn't as important as who it's coming from um, and uh, that being an example. And that's why I really like to write about And some people in the UFO field aren't appreciative of – they don't care what the Kardashians have to say or or what some other star or musician or, or actor or actress has to say. But I like covering those stories because those are the people people take uh, social cues from and they're going to hear – what they have to say, no matter what it is, whereas they might not hear even what a university professor has to say. Well, see, one one of the issues that debunkers and even highly educated debunkers uh, uh, make the point, and I agree in part with it, just because Edgar Mitchell or the astronauts or famous John Mack or whoever else says something doesn't mean they're necessarily right. However, in all the research courses I've been in, graduate research courses, it's like a cold case with the police. 
you may not have a an ET in hand, or you may not have, for your your purposes, the uh, uh, crash UFO or whatever. But if we have highly credentialed people who say, in Mitchell's case, that uh, you know the the extraterrestrial hypothesis is 100% level of confidence, we start with those experts, and and what what you and I want, and what Steve Bassett and others want, Stephen Greer, is to have uh, congressional hearings, and let's let's put the folks. Uh, uh, the, the nays and the yays on the same platform and see where that spins out. But you just to dismiss something, now I, know, now I won't mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but I know a man at Yale who will say, well, just because somebody important says it's true doesn't make it true. I mean, nobody in this world probably has challenged authority any more than I have, especially in international affairs. But it pays to listen with people you agree with and disagree with, and let's, let's uh, start to research there. Mm -hmm. Seeing as how, um, like you said, you, you've uh, had kind of a lifetime of challenging authority, um, it seems like there has been a shift. And I think that this has uh, played well for people taking UFOs seriously in that, especially... I don't know, and I, I'm not to get political or to to uh, one side or another, but it does seem to be mostly during the Bush years, um, maybe partially due to um, you know the military scandals, especially around funding mm -hmm. that came out. People are more skeptical of the government than ever, it seems right now, and uh, you probably have experienced where it wasn't like that probably when you started your activism. Um, no, in fact, in, in 1962, no, I guess the, we started our protest against the nukes in 1962, but our first actual public demonstration here in Columbia, we were a little late in the game regarding Vietnam, was 1965. And I, I'd been a military person myself. I'd served regular army and some reserve time. And on that very first picket line, we actually did a picket line where you, you walked, you know, and later on people just stood still. But we had Marine reservists here shaking their fists at us, uh, uh, calling us communists. I, in fact, I had a, a director of a state historical society call me, and I'll say a GD communist, mm -hmm. uh, as if, if you took exception. And believe it or not, I was using information from my old Army colonel who had warned us against Vietnam and had said something uh, to the effect that something like, he didn't mention Gulf of Tonkin, but something like that. They were looking for an excuse. We presented that to our congressman, and he just laughed at us. And as you know, uh, the Vietnam War started with only two U.S. senators dissenting, and uh, the rest of the House and everybody else uh, bought the thing Johnson's fraud to hook, line, and sinker, but it was difficult, and it is somewhat less difficult now, but there, I would say considerably so, and, and by the way, uh, on politic, politics, I have spoken both to the local uh, Democratic support group, it's a group called Mule Skinners here, and to the Republican group about three weeks ago, they're called Pachyderms, and, re and got very good reception, as I did with the uh, Boone County Medical Society. We had 40 doctors in that room and only one debunker out of the whole bunch and a couple citing their own UFO sightings. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So I do think there's a, a trend. I, I think a lot of people don't know what to believe, you know, but they're less vehement. They don't go after you like uh, they did on on the anti-war stuff early on. So I, I think you're right. There, but having said that, here I'm a person who supported uh, the domestic policy of, of Barack Obama, and what do I find out? Here's a man who got the Nobel Peace Prize uh, for a speech, essentially, in the Czech Republic, saying he was going to diminish or cut back on nukes. They've now approved a new 30-year plan of $1.3 trillion for new nukes and delivery systems. That puts a little guy like me who's been working on this, you say, my God, how much progress have we made? Mm-hmm. And in that area, I'm afraid not much. Right, yeah. Scary stuff. So um, it brings up a lot of stuff. Uh, I guess I'll get to – there's several things I want to touch on still. But I guess now that we've we've talked about nukes, and I'm sure it's on everybody's mind who who's listening, is the work of people like Robert Solis or Robert Hastings especially about this connection with UFOs and nukes. Um, That's right. In fact, I use uh, Robert's uh, – you know, he has a DVD if you just Google – www.ufohastings.org. You have the full seven uh, officers that he, in fact, he does a DVD. And then he has Robert Salas and I think Colonel Holtz on there and, and a total of five, five individuals in which they're showing essentially that uh, somebody in UFOs is deeply concerned about, uh, about nuclear weapons and it can close down a flight at a Minuteman Air Force Base. I talked with Robert Salas. We never met, but we talked on the phone. And, uh, you know, he knows what he's talking about. And, of course, he he was required to sign a uh, a non-disclosure statement under what's called JNAP 146, the Joint Army-Navy Air Force Publication 146, which, when coupled with Air Force regulation, 200-2 says in effect if you if you disclose what you know about UFOs there will be a $10,000 fine possibly 10 years in jail loss of all benefits and we know clearly Stephen Greer's documented this and others have I have for that matter that there uh, have, have, there have been threats to family and we know where your sister was where you, we know where your mother was that sort of thing I mean, that started back in certainly uh, very early on and certainly after the Robertson panel in 52. Mm-hmm. So, and I, there's mm-hmm. another organization, and I wish I had it on my tongue right now, but we know there have been at least 300 documented incursions at either nuclear weapons plants or missile sites or other facilities that deal uh, with, with nuclear weapons. And, of course, New Mexico was where uh, uh, the Enola Gay was was based. That was there. That was one of the, some people believe one of the first reasons for the uh, the uh, UFO concern in in New Mexico, the nukes mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. What is your take on that? Then, do you think whoever is flying these things around has uh, similar concerns as you do? Well, I don't, you know, there's no way to know exactly. I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's why we need uh, a lot more research. I, I, I know that I think Robert believes that definitely they're, uh, the folks who are, who are doing this closing down and a, a flight of missiles are trying to tell us something. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we all, I mean, it's madness, clearly. There's nothing you can do with those missiles except omnicide anyway. Even if Pakistan and India just use their 50 missiles each, uh, it will take us toward a year of nuclear winter in which the crops won't grow and some people will starve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really scary stuff. And it does make me think, I mean... It is shocking to me, and I'm sure you think about this uh, more than I do, that we've had this weapon for 65 years, and humans being uh, what they are, it's surprising that uh, they haven't been used more often. Well, you know, uh, I'll do a little pitch if it's okay now on on Mm -hmm. our online book. Is that okay? Go for it. Yeah, uh, Jared Gasson, a graduate student in journalism here at the University of Missouri, and I uh, did a, a, a book called uh, uh, Confronting Nuclear War, the Role of Education, Religion, and the Community. And I'll give you the uh, address for that. It's www.confrontingnuclearwar.com. And in that, we we spell out some of the near misses. We've come so close uh, on several occasions, people just don't know. On one occasion, a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet Union saved us all. He was Mm -hmm. heading up a 200-man unit uh, for an early warning system, and and their computer screwed up and the screens lit up to the effect that that there was an all-out attack by by, uh, the U.S., he, in his heart, knew this was not right, and he failed to notify uh, the higher level. That is way too close. On another occasion, a, U- a joint U.S. Uh, and American uh, rocket uh, launched from a submarine gave the appearance of, uh, I think it was launched from a submarine, gave the appearance of, of a uh, uh, an offensive weapon. Putin had, or excuse me, uh, not Putin, um uh, who was the man before him? Uh, oh, a man with an alcohol problem. Uh, anyhow, it starts Yeltsin, with an M. Oh, Yeltsin. Yeltsin, uh, the president, President Yeltsin, had mm-hmm. the black box on his lap, and and decided not to to order the return launch. We know that for a long time the Soviet uh, and the later R- Russian. Um, Computers and and their overall uh, incoming system only about fifty percent of the time. So here we sit with weapons on 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 hair trigger and uh, really the destruction of the world at hand, uh, and and we go ahead and and produce more. Mm-hmm. You know? So so the question is, I I get curious about. I mean, pure speculation, of course, uh, and it's out there. But some, you know, just one of the things I think about is, are these guys, if there is a third party coming here, how have they ever disarmed to avoid, uh, you know, help avoid a, a, a war, a nuclear war? Um, or are they maybe here just to watch one go down? Well, uh, I think they gave us an example of what they can do with Robert Salas's, uh missiles in, uh, mm-hmm. I believe it was 19, what year was it? In the 1960s, right. uh, he, you know, he was the, he, he was one of two launch officers in a launch control center, and uh, the UFO comes right over his launch control center and, and shuts down 10 
Minuteman missiles and Boeing had to come out the next week to put them back online. So I don't know about the the ethics uh, uh, of, of folks of off planet folks. I don't know how that works. But you know, one one case that some people make it's like we may be uh, a science project for them, uh, like we look at uh, indigenous people or a co- a, you know a colony of ants. Uh, it could be it could be that if these folks are a million years ahead of us as they could be, or even more than that. In technology, they could probably do anything they want to. Mm-hmm. But then that leads us. I know uh, I mentioned to you the uh, in the past the uh, the Whiteman Air Force Base incident here in Missouri. Right. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? That's exactly what I was going to go to next. <laughs> well, as you as you know, Linda Moulton Howe, who is an excellent ufologist, TV anchor, writer, writes books and articles. She did an interview with a young airman first class who was stationed at Whiteman Air Force Base at Knob Noster, Missouri. Dale Hogan, uh, this was 1984, and one night about 2 a.m. in the morning, he and his sergeant uh, were on the tarmac at uh, Whiteman Air Force Base. There weren't many airplanes there then because it was a it was actually a... Um, nuclear weapons uh, missile site, but they had what were called igloos, and igloos held spare nuclear warheads. So they uh, had warheads on the missiles ready to go, but they also had spare spare ones. They had about 20 of these igloos were on the base. And so Hogan was on top of these, one of these fixing it or whatever, he, and a very large disc UFO probably not even a thousand feet in the air, goes right over the igloo and shines down a what looked like a laser beam or something like that, a, a beam of light at any rate, which was doing, looked like it was doing a search back and forth, back and forth of what was in those igloos, and especially the one that Hogan was sitting on. And that also sent down another light, which uh, burned his arm, a little bit of purple light, I believe. So naturally, he and his sergeant uh, don't know what in the world is going on. And so the UFO just hovered, and over time, it was almost a two-hour experience. But at any rate, they called headquarters, and out come two very large trucks going as fast as they could go, breaking all protocols, not stopping as they're supposed to at the various gates and come right there on on the tarmac where the uh, where the igloos were and out steps an officer and uh, Dale couldn't tell whether he was a light colonel or a major because he couldn't tell the color of his oak leaf but it was one or the other and the guy and Dale asked him should I fire and essentially he said for God's sake no in effect I'll have you for lunch and he says put your Put your weapon down. Put point it down, and don't look up. Don't look up at all. And so then, what happens is Harrier jets. And by the way, this guy was the UFO officer. Now, what's with that? The Air Force said in 1969, we don't deal with UFOs anymore. Mm-hmm. But here you have uh, a major or a light colonel who is the post uh, or the post UFO officer, and they have cameras that start to try to take a picture. Big one, mounted on a truck, big oval camera trying to take a picture, 
And then the Harrier jets, there were some Harrier jets were ordered out, and the UFO would would take off and go maybe 20 miles, just like that, and the Harrier jets would try to chase it. The UFO would come back and start doing its uh, monitoring of the of the of the, uh, um, of the of the igloos, and this went on for quite a while. And finally, the UFO uh, went away. Well, the next morning, Airman Hogan was called in for a debriefing, was told to sign a a uh, non-disclosure agreement, and you can hear him in his interview with Linda Moulton Howe saying, and they warned me that we know where your family lives, or words to that effect. So they threatened him with JNAP 146, a non-disclosure agreement, and his family. Now that happened in 1984 right here in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Were you able to ever speak with that uh, witness? I've never been able to find uh, uh, Dale Hogan. No, I haven't. But uh, somewhere on there, I've forgotten exactly what I Googled to get Linda Moulton House interview. It, it, it was on various uh, spots on the online, and then some of them were removed. But I think it's still still available. Mm-hmm. I'll try to Google it when I get off here. Yeah, no problem. So, because I have noticed that when uh, you Google you and Whiteman, that you've done interviews with others, but regarding nuclear uh, cases. Yeah, if you if, for someone who wants to hear essentially what I just said, my friend Mike McMillan uh, uh, did a uh, a uh, DVD on this, and you can just Google Bill Wickersham. It's W I C K E R S H A M. Bill Wickersham. Whiteman Air Force Base UFO. Mm-hmm. So now you've been out and you've been uh, doing, like you said, these talks for for years now, right? Uh, on UFOs. I, I don't get a lot of gigs, but I have been, I have had several. Yes, and I've had some in neighboring universities and in a couple, one graduate education course and also in a folklore course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I cannot get my friends in the journalism school. Uh, uh, excited about it. You know, we have one of the best journalism schools uh, in the world, and uh, I have not been successful in getting anybody to do some real in-depth uh, investigative research on this. Because we've had we've had uh, sightings right here in, in in Columbia. We had one landing actually in 1973, and we had a triangle over one of our golf courses over a house by people who live near the golf course. And of course, the famous uh, Cape Girardeau uh, uh, sighting in 1941, even which was even before <clears throat> was even before Roswell. And I have had a conversation with uh, uh, the woman um, I'm trying to say, Charlotte Mann, who now lives in Tyler, Texas. I called her about a month ago when I had a piece in our local paper on the Cape Girardeau sighting. Mm-hmm. Maybe well, you could explain. Cra- it was a crash. Uh, who she is and, and a little bit about the Cape Girardeau. Well, <clears throat> Linda, excuse me, uh, Charlotte Mann is the granddaughter of a uh, of a local Baptist minister in 1941 in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and I'm blocking on his name at the moment. I'll think of it in a moment. But he was called out. He was called at home, and I think it was roughly April of 
to say a blessing over three entities who had crashed in a UFO about 15 miles outside Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And when he got there, you know, this is according to Charlotte, when he got uh, got there, uh, he did say the blessing, and he could actually see the entities. And and one had, had, had fallen outside the craft, the other two were inside. But then he was immediately called over by the military, and in those days, uh, Sykeston, Missouri, had one of our top gun uh, uh, Air Force training, pilot training programs, but the people apparently from that base, and I believe they were from, from Sykeston, uh, uh, called him over and told him this never happened, you didn't see it, etc., etc. So over the years, he didn't talk much about it, but his wife knew about it, and Charlotte picked up a little bits of information at the dinner table and so on, but in the year that her mother was dying, her mother told her the whole story. When I wrote my piece for the Columbia Daily Tribune, I wanted to be sure I had it right. So I called her in all of the major points, and she said, uh, yes, that is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. All the points that I had in the article. Wow. So, as you know, or maybe you know, uh, Ryan Wood, also in his book, you know, he's written a book where he's uh, mm-hmm. documented some, I think, 79 or so crashes and this is one of the of the ones that he too has researched and just like Roswell it needs a lot more research I've talked to a couple of people from from the area one man told me it's total myth another journalist told me that her junior high uh, social studies teacher had ex- or science teacher had explained it to them so there's a lot of unknowns and could be total nonsense but uh, my hunch is it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting case. But uh, getting back to uh, uh, the journalism department, I think that it, it is sad because it's they're really doing a disservice. And maybe you could point out that actually mainstream uh, media has really it, – it, first, it's a to- popular topic for them. And, uh, and outlets such as um, – the Chicago Tribune, when it came to um, a sighting over the Chicago O'Hare Airport, or right. even more recently, Fox and Friends, Clayton Morris, the host, uh, you know, interviewed uh, someone about UFOs and uh, was very positive about it. And it turns out, I didn't even know this. I mean, this is a guy as a host on Fox and Friends. He did a UFO show. He's really into UFOs. But there's numerous other examples. People on the Today Show. Um, uh, who have expressed their interest, even Al Roker um, oh, and King. Matt Lauer, sure. Larry King. So there's a lot of interest out there by credible and well-regarded you know, journalists, and uh, they're doing a disservice because I think it's, it's a good way to show them how to be unbiased and look at both sides of the story. Um, you could even but show you know, them... Uh, to, to the best of my knowledge, NBC, <laughs> ABC, the... The Lair News Hour did one little program at one time, but essentially, you, you know Terry Hansen's book, I'm sure, the, the, the book uh, uh, Missing Times, uh-huh. in which he documents the early debunking strategy of the news media, uh, way way back, starting in really in 1952 with with the Robertson panel, and what is ha- what often happens i've been treated very well by local newspapers and radio we have three radio stations 
have done several interviews uh, and almost one is almost a regular like monthly arrangement and we have both of our our university newspaper has run my stuff but we can't seem to get investigative reporters to really go go after it i mean that that was terry's point just like I mean, Stanton Friedman and others weren't journalists, but eventually some some people got excited about Roswell. We need that same kind of thing. I, I and the anthropologists, for God's sake, I wish they would get into this also. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in uh, in the day, what's interesting and what, what always throws you for a loop is we had a professor of physics, department chair at Southeast Missouri State University, who was in college, at Cape Girardeau, where, where, where this crash that I told you about supposedly occurred. And a man by the name of Harley Rutledge actually had students going out making contacts with UFOs at night. He was a very respected, he was one of the first in Missouri to do this. But apparently he never wrote anything about the Cape Girardeau deal. So, you know, you, you say to yourself, gosh, how, how did that happen? Well, things like this do happen, but uh, uh, we, 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 apparently, according to Terry Hansen, what happens is that local groups, local newspapers like Maelstrom Air Force Base in, in that area in Montana, they report, but when it goes up the chain, it never makes a big splash. I mean, just think back. Recently, here, here we have John Podesta, who was Bill Clinton's chief of staff. He was Obama's transition man and is likely to play a very big role of some sort, maybe even manager of, of Hillary's campaign, has gone on record several times saying that we ought to disclose. And when he, was, when he left the Obama administration, he did a tweet to Maureen Dowd of the New York Times talking about his t- ten biggest disappointments in the last few years politically. And number one on the list was his inability to get the the Clinton administration, or either administration, to really disclose about UFOs, or words to that effect. In other words, it hadn't come out. Now, can you imagine him saying something, any other topic, and that not being on the nightly news? We, we didn't see it at all. Mm-hmm. The New York Times had a little bitty article, the Washington Post did, and uh, some other newspapers, of course. But that, that's pretty darn big news, you know, and it, it was not out there. Well, the hard part, though, especially with that, is uh, that Podesta didn't speak further on that. He wouldn't answer questions or elaborate. But still, you know, to have made that statement, and uh, you would have thought, that, you know, I would uh, like to have seen a, a 60-second or 30-second comment on CBS News or 60 Minutes or somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, there's still challenges ahead. Speaking of media, I mean, it looks like uh, you're a regular on uh, your uh, public radio show called The Paul Pepper Show. Yes, Paul, uh, that's with KBIA. I'm pretty regular. Uh, we, we do it about once every month or six weeks. I have one coming up. In, in a few days with, with Paul, and he's been been very good about this. And uh, and and of course, the beauty of it is the podcast goes online, just which which is also the case of just local newspaper items. I mean, 
if anybody's interested, they can just Google Bill Wickersham UFOs, and you, you'll see you know quite a lengthy list. And with Paul Pepper, if you Google Paul Pepper, it's P-E-P-P-E-R, Bill Wickersham, you get uh, all of my podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I guess a, a question would be, among academia, uh, what is your sense of how people feel about it? Are, for instance, your colleagues, other professors, interested in the topic less so than the normal person? Um, or are... Well, the point is, I, I, I can, you know, I'm in peace studies, and mm-hmm. for me, uh, this is one of the biggest peace issues in the history of humankind. Just as we talked about the nukes and and other issues, and, and and as you know, this issue, if what we're saying is correct, if we ever do have open contact, uh, it, it it challenges everything we do in academia. I, I have, uh, you know, I I had a guy the other day, a physicist, challenged me in a public meeting with the old argument, well, you can't get from here to there. That's not the question. The question is, how do they get from there to here? Mm-hmm. And are, is there some physics we don't understand? And I've always given this thermodynamics lecture, you know, that it would take forever to get there and you, know, you, just, you, ne- you never get back and all that sort of thing. If somebody's a million years ahead of you, it might be a little bit humbling. Mm-hmm. As you know, the Brookings Institution in 1961 uh, was asked by NASA to do some work on essentially uh, uh, the issue of, of, of outer space, uh, et cetera. And what they concluded was that the people who will be the most put off by the actual on-hand uh, discovery of extraterrestrials will be the physical scientists and engineers. <laughs> They're locked into a, uh, into a mode. And, and what happens, I, when I get that argument, you, you of course, are familiar with the... Uh, with the Skunk Works and Ben Rich and Don Phillips, mm-hmm. and here here we have Ben Rich, especially Don Phillips. He's right online. All you have to do is Google alien technology, Don Phillips, and he's telling us that everything from 1945 on, the, with the exclusive top secret work that was done at the Lockheed Skunk Works in California, which is our top aeronautical, at least that we know of, top secret research that they use, they in fact use the artifacts and the information gleaned from Roswell uh, for future developments of the Blackbird uh, uh, airplane, uh, even drones and stuff that we use today. The stuff that Colonel Corso talked about. When I put that in quotation marks or I tell people, go look at Don Phillips, this guy had top secret clearances. He was had been a high-ranking Air Force officer, one of the top engineers in the world, aeronautical, uh, and, and they just won't respond. They say, it can't be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if you say something, it can't be, therefore it isn't, well, you're never going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a terrible argument. And, and, and my co- I do have a few colleagues who, who are interested, but uh, many of my other colleagues don't see this as a peace issue. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole issue of, na- of national sovereignty. Who's going to speak for for humanity? As you know, Lee Spiegel tried to get at this at the UN in 1976, I think, and uh, no, no, we don't have a lot of people addressing that issue. Who's going to speak for humankind? 
mm-hmm. when this occurs. And by the way, you know, uh, have, are you familiar with the astrobiology meetings that have been going on at the Library of Congress? Yep, we've been writing about those. I've been You've following been, that's those. That's right, you have. I think I mm-hmm. saw it. So, uh, and as you may know, uh, Victor Vigiani and I put together a letter which was signed by by an open letter signed by Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, and Mr. Paul Hellyer, uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, former defense minister and deputy prime minister of Canada, in which we wrote back to NASA and the Library of Congress saying, you had a two-day meeting in which you were asking the basic questions about what will be the upshot of, of, uh, of the discovery of even uh, low life or or extend that to intelligent life, what will be the effect on religion, on the society? And they've had several uh, uh, historians and some physicists, and they have a meeting. In fact, it may have just occurred. I'm not sure they have a second one. But our letter was, for God's sake, if you're going to do this, and you don't even have one UFO program on there, it's a little bit like taking your kids to Disneyland and showing them a parking lot, you know, <laughs> without opening up to the to the real deal. Mm-hmm. But we, we got no response on that, but fortunately the letter did go, you know, online. Mm-hmm. But um, that that I think that is really too bad that the, the NASA and Library of Congress won't have at least one one panel on, on the UFO phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And I guess finally, because we're running out of time, <clears throat> Uh, you know, Stan Friedman talks about a lot about, well, they might not be, you know, really wanting to engage us because we, we seem to be um, our, our biggest pastime is tribal warfare. And right. You working in peace studies. I mean, do you see a change? Of course, in the United States, we have it easy because we uh, haven't had, you know, any war going on in our land. I guess you could consider maybe 9-11, but... Uh, really nothing prior to that, uh, maybe the Mexican-American Wars or something, long, long time ago. But uh, the rest of the world, there's a lot of fighting going on everywhere. Uh, as far as the world view, uh, international um, situation is, do you see that we've gotten, as a species, more peaceful um, recently? There, there is one author, two or three, who made the case that yes, overall, there are a few killings in warfare. But I have to remind you uh, that uh, John Stockwell, a very high-ranking uh, CIA operative, has written a book called "The, the Secret." Uh, has written two major pieces called "The CIA Secret Wars," and he testified before the Church Commission in 1976. His estimate, if you included Cambodia, all of Southeast Asia, and the secret wars that with the CIA conducted in Latin America and Africa, that essentially the United States was involved between 1945 and 76 in the killing of at least 6 million people. And keep in mind that we have still have these nukes on hair trigger. We're willing to kill millions of people. Uh, in fact, whenever any politician says, all options are on the table. Uh, what we're doing is threatening uh, uh, the world. If I were an ET out there, I would look, and I've seen cartoons saying, "What in the world's with them? They kill their own people." Mm-hmm. I mean, the tribalism that exists on the planet. Uh, uh, what, we we may they may just be looking at us and saying, well, "What what are those fools doing?" You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially and 
in the last 50 years, uh, it doesn't seem like uh, there has been much improvement. I mean, if you were the consultant, you were uh, for uh, an extraterrestrial race, and they were like, hey, Bill, you know, on Earth, has the situation gotten any better, you know, for us to maybe approach them? Uh, what would your your advice be? You, you mean if, if ETs were asking me about the nature yeah. of warfare and conflict? I would tell them, uh, you know, uh, we're in pretty sad condition. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, when, when, well, like I said, 1.3 trillion for, uh, for new nukes, a, a military budget of, of 600 million dollars, a billion with a B a year. One of my jobs when I was in Washington, I worked for former Senator Joseph Clark of Pennsylvania. He had a coalition on national priorities and military policy. And we, what we found out, and what is true today, what drives all the nuke stuff, it's not just human conflict, it's greed. TRW, Boeing, General Electric, all of these countries make, all these companies make billions of dollars. We have a brand new nukes plant in Kansas City. I mean, who in the world needs new nuclear weapons? Mm-hmm. But the money is in it. And, uh, when I lobbied, I had a dollar bills in my pocket. The, uh, uh, those people, those companies, figuratively had thousand-dollar bills, mm-hmm. and you know who's going to win that race? Yeah, unfortunately, and more uh, as time goes on, it seems the money speaks louder and louder, uh, which kind of indicates we haven't learned uh, a lot of lessons over the years. Well, I'm not going to give up, and I know you're not either. And we have to sow the seeds of peace, and I don't think we'll see anything resembling that. I'm 81, certainly not in my lifetime, but. We, we still have to give it a shot, and and yeah. I, I would like to think I also worked for Norman Cousins for about five years, the editor of the Saturday Review. In fact, Norman was the intermediary between Kennedy, Khrushchev, and the Pope, and his statement was, Bill, my 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 mind, my soul, my body is one one cell in the stream of humankind, and uh, I'm going to do the best I can do, and I hope you will too. So I think we have to give it a shot anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Uh, the time has flown by. Um, if Where would you point people to see your work, or did you have uh, a, a website? I know you mentioned one earlier uh, that well, you would like to point book, people to. Well, I have one on the if they just Google my name and UFOs, uh, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll get more than they want. <laughs> All right. They'll get <laughs> videos and articles, so that's great. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Bill Wickersham for joining us today for the show. Really interesting guy. And, you know, hats off to him for being brave enough to get out there. First of all, for the nuclear activism, I don't think um, there are many people that would disagree, uh, unfortunately, the people in charge, but uh, that, you know, nuclear proliferation is not a good thing. And less nukes is is better. But uh, hats off for him for doing that work. And also being brave enough to get the UFO issue out there. Uh, certainly people listen. And there's a uh, an amount of credibility that comes along with uh, being a university professor. And uh, I notice, you know, his, when he writes a story, it does get a lot of attention. And so we're really uh, happy that he's out there doing the work that he does. Thank you, Bill, for being on the show and for doing what you do. So it's great to get the opportunity to talk to him again. 
I also want to thank, you know, some of the contributors for the show. So thank you to the Clerk Chronicles or for um, um, Caleb Hanks, who does the intro and the close music. He uh, goes by the Clerk Chronicles. It's kind of the, the name of the album or the EP that we got that music from. You can go to his site, The Clerk, uh, to see some of his artwork. He's also a great artist. And, uh, you know, he does all of this animation and stuff like that. Uh, he does this comic book around the music, uh, very futuristic and cool stuff. But you could see that on our radio page. Some of the other stuff you'll see on the radio page is a link to PSN Radio. They used to replay our shows. I'm not sure if they are still, but if they are, thank you. Uh, if they're not, well, thanks for doing it in the past. Someone else who's replaying our music is Dark Matters Radio, which uh, actually is part of the Art Bell Network, and Art Bell's going to be coming back on the air and doing another show, so everybody's really excited about that. We're excited about that, and we'll have more news about that coming up, but thank you so much for Dark Matters for replaying our shows as well. Uh, it's so much fun to have such a big network of colleagues out there uh, and being able to cooperate, and uh, we certainly love to do so because all of these uh, contributors are doing a lot of wonderful stuff, including Martin Willis, of course, who is now joining us for the news portion of the show. Uh, be sure to check out his podcast, UFO, as well, all part of our podcasting and online UFO radio family. So, Thank you guys so much. And, of course, thank you to the listeners. Thank you to those of you I met at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center uh, for Contact in the Desert this past weekend. I got to meet quite a few uh, new listeners uh, that I hadn't met before, uh, and that was a lot of fun. It's always a ton of fun when uh, you guys are able to make my lectures where I can share some more information because my lectures are actually usually full of stuff that I don't get to share on the radio show because they're either not related. So, for instance, I talked about these strange alien contacts. Um, I've done that uh, talk now a couple times, and I'm going to do it in Roswell. So if you want to see this talk, I mean, you know how I'm skeptical, but these cases are amazing. They're just weird cases of alien contact that seem legitimate, have been taken legitimate in the various countries where they've happened, and they're just weird, really weird, um, and they seem credible. I don't know what to make of them. Uh, really crazy stuff. So, But if you want to see that talk, you could see it at, at Roswell, at the festival. They always have their July 4th Roswell party, so uh, I'll be out there doing some lectures, and I'll be doing this strange alien cases out there, so Check us out there. We're also getting ramped up for the UFO Congress, so you can already go register at ufocongress.com. The dates are up there. Go register and especially get your hotel rooms ASAP. You know how I tell you guys to get your rooms if you want to be in the conference center. And the hotel is absolutely gorgeous. Those of you who have been there, I've never had one person come to me and say, Oh, you said these hotel rooms are beautiful and this place is great and it's not as nice as you said. In fact, I have people come up to me and say, oh my gosh, you were right. This place is magical. It's so beautiful. Uh, we, you, I, Everybody agrees with me. It's one thing that everybody <laughs> agrees with me on and uh, certainly that's not everything. Even, you know, Martin was giving me a hard time about some stuff earlier and I'll have to get him for that. But anyway... Be sure to get your rooms because we sell out of the host hotel earlier and earlier 
every year. Uh, we've got some great people that we're going to have lined up for this next conference, so you're going to want to be there. So go to ufocongress.com for that. Um, and then, of course, thank you all for listening. I mean, we we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into producing this daily news at openminds.tv. All of those stories that Martin and I talked about, you can find there at openminds.tv. Uh, we're going to have a new UFO show uh, UFO report coming up that uh, we're going to have up on our YouTube channel later this week. Um, and then, of course, we have these podcasts. So we work really hard to get all this information out to you all. And just to know you guys are out there listening and taking advantage of it is just so rewarding and it makes it all worth it. So thank you all for listening. Um, hopefully I can meet you all one day. But uh, we get to virtually meet every week, which is very, very nice. And I enjoy my time with you all very much. So thank you all so much for listening. We will talk to you next week. Adios, muchachos. <laughs>